0: The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals and do not necessarily reflect the views of Elk Grove High School or District 214. In this episode, I sit down with Bruce Janu, a history teacher at Elk Grove High School. We both recently watched Most Likely to Succeed and have since been inspired to try new approaches in our classrooms. Bruce started a project in which students could choose to create a podcast on World War I as an alternative assessment to the traditional metrics. Our conversation pushes the boundaries of what a traditional classroom could be And how do we engage all of our students? I hope you enjoy. Welcome to School Chat, getting to the purpose of schools and making meaningful changes to the lives of learners. I'm your host, Mark Heintz.
1: After watching that. uh, that movie that you you made me come down to watch. I didn't by make the way. You, you come down and watch. You did. You put a lot of peer pressure on me. And so I came down and I'm like, what am I going to learn from this thing?
0: I do remember you having a lot of hesitation. I uh, did have a lot
1: of hesitation. I and did
0: sell it very well because most of the time you're hesitant to join me on these journeys.
1: I know. And so I went and I was enthralled by the video. I have to say, good choice. Well, we are talking about most likely to succeed. Right, most likely to succeed. And it it actually reminded me, watching it, of the times in my career. I've been teaching for 28 years now, and most of it has been me in the classroom delivering material and kids taking tests, you know, the traditional classroom. But I did have a stretch of time where I taught interdisciplinary.
0: So why do you do that? I mean, when I talk to you as a friend and the things that you're passionate about, I don't get anything traditional out of you. I mean, you are a non-traditional person, and and I mean that in a very positive way. Like, you have so many different passions in your life. You are not somebody that would be in a box. Like, I would not picture you, and I'm not using that necessarily in the right way.
1: I don't see what I do in the classroom necessarily as a box. I mean, when I say traditional, I mean more teacher-centered. I, you know, I still, you know, I you know I try and be as creative as possible in the classroom. I love, and I think one of the best things about teaching history is teaching history through stories. I think storytelling is essentially one of the human traits that we, regardless of the time period, human beings have always been enthralled by stories. And so I've always kind of pushed the teaching of history in that regard. And a lot of that comes from my theater background. I think w- before I became a teacher, I wanted to be an actor. And so I went to school and majored in theater. I wanted to be a director. Did you? That's A theater fun. director or a movie director? Movie director. Yeah. That, you know. And, and I think as a teacher, there's a lot of that that we do, that directing kind of thing, and you know the whole kind of creative bent. And so that's what I mean. Well, you know, when I stand up there and I tell stories and stuff, I do it very theatrically in my hopes that kids like it and find something, in it that would make them want to learn more about a particular subject and you know when I do tell stories there are certain times in my classroom where I devote like an entire period to telling a story and I sometimes embellish but I get very theatrical those are the things that they remember well and you know I think
0: something that your key target in that sentence is um, I hope that they get it and I've seen this transformation in you you're going from the I hope they get it to they are getting it.
1: There, and watching that movie reminded me of a time, you know, for a good probably 14 years of my career, which is half, really, I taught interdisciplinary with another person in class. I taught two interdisciplinary classes. And those were the best teaching and learning experiences that I had and then for why, why Bob, is that because I you know I think the kids saw connections there that they didn't really understand existed when they go from class to class to class it's so you know compartmentalized that they don't understand that all of these things are related you know how many times are we in class and we have them reading like it's not English class you know, well, it is. Almost it basic. is, yeah, yeah, it is English class. And then, you know, I did the summer school program. Um, and the summer school program was all based on interdisciplinary and project-based learning. And it was phenomenal. It was the hardest I've ever worked. It was the most difficult I ever worked. But I got a lot out of it, and so did the kids. And seeing that film kind of reminded me of that. Um, there, there were times in getting ready when I was doing that summer school program where I wouldn't sleep. I mean, I'd be working on like a project that I'd be giving the kids the next day and I would finish it and go to work. I can't do that now. I was younger <laughs> back then. But I, I, but that that kind of thing... So can you give an example of what the kids were doing then? Well, uh, in, in that summer school program, the kids... Um, Signed up for a particular class, whether it was history, sociology, English, and so there were many was there different choice to take the class. It was their choice to take it in this format, and so when the um, class met, they would have a teacher for that class. For example, I taught U.S. history. All right, but I only saw the kids in that five-hour stretch for maybe one or two hours, and then they would go to other. Sessions and so it would be a comp- and so they would meet with other kids of different ages. They would work on like a common uh, project uh, with the English kids when they're giving like a speech or a presentation. And the entire program was based around a a theme, a topic. So Could be like citizenship. Everything was connected. Everything was connected, and then they do a prod uh, like a problem based. Project. They would go to a teacher and be in the cafeteria. They'd be broken up into groups and they would have to, you know, come together. Did they and
0: have a lot of choice in that? Like, could they decide to explore something that they were interested no, in?
1: No, you know that that's probably something that they didn't necessarily have. You know, that kind of student if you choice. Do it. But they did have the choice whether or not to go into the CCA program, as it was called, or kind of a traditional. I'm going to take U.S. history and I'm going to be sitting here for five hours. Do you think if you were doing that today, you know, with the potential of having like each
0: kid have a device, would you augment that project so that they would have a little bit more autonomy to research the things that they were doing?
1: Maybe. And they did. I take that back. In some of the cases they had, you know, like some choices if they were doing a presentation or something else, they got to choose what the topic was. And what we found out is it started off very small. Only a handful of teachers were doing it in summer school, but then it started to grow because kids were choosing that. And a lot of them were not just kids that were in summer school because they failed something. It was kids wanting to take this program and to, quote-unquote, get ahead. Which is really cool. It is. And so we had a mixture of kids, kids that were there because they failed and kids that were there because they wanted to be there. And that was kind of contagious to those kids that, you know. I feel like that's such a
0: diverse range of experiences. And so you get the kids who are there because they're looking to get ahead. Typically, they're compliant. They're there just to get through something. And then you have those kids who are failing, which they probably didn't connect very well to how it was taught or they had something else going on in their lives. So you get this mixture, which sometimes we... Um, separate them in the Mm -hmm. traditional setting they don't ever see each other
1: right I you know I've taught summer school both ways when I first started teaching summer school it was you know the traditional five hours and that was brutal I taught sociology sitting there with kids who failed for the most part and needed it and there I'm there trying to keep their attention for five hours that was horrible it was horrible for me it was horrible for the kids and then this program, where the kids moved around and they interacted more, and even those kids who failed, and were there because they had to be there, tended to be more involved and active than if they were in a so single you, classroom.
0: You watch the documentary, and then I know you've started to make some changes and shifts in your, you know, regular world history course. You know, a traditional course.
1: Right. Um, you know, how's that going? You know, it's one of those things. When I get an idea, I, ju- <laughs> I, 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 I jump right into it. I created a website. I created the idea, a proposal that Friday after we, stu- we, we finished watching it. Or maybe it wasn't even before we f- – it was like the week before we finished it. And then I decided I was going to have this podcast, Vox Historia, is the name I came up for, it: Voices of History, to give the kids an option, they can choose to sit in class, take notes, do the traditional stuff, the web quests, the activities, the note sheet quizzes, and then the pencil and paper exam at the end of the unit, or they can choose to do a podcast. And in that podcast, they would, there, there are some requirements they have to... Um, learn the material, uh, you know, because they're gonna be taking a final and stuff, so they had to complete basically a packet of information in which they'll be exposed to everything that everyone else is doing in the class. Do you think
0: eventually you would get rid of that exposure component to it? I don't
1: think so, because they need to, because a lot of them come in without knowing a whole lot, and so for them to choose what they want to focus on more, they have to have some type of background.
0: So this is kind of their gateway into it's their saying gateway. which one hooked to and, you.
1: Right. And it's not. It, it's nowhere near as deep as what we're doing in class. Uh, but it's at least exposure where they'd be like, oh, you know, maybe this thing about, you know, I've got a couple of kids now doing the Versailles Peace Treaty. Um, maybe, you know, they read something about U-boats and wanted to do that. But I think exposing them to the history in a very rudimentary way. This is just like background. They're just kind of like taking notes and then deciding what it is they like, and I give them the complete autonomy in choosing So they're figuring a topic.
0: out kind of their voice in this process, you know, which one resonates with them. If it's the U-boats, like, why is it the U-boats that right. kind of connect to
1: you? Right. And then they have to give me an elevator pitch when they come up with their topic and their idea how they wanna uh, get it across. So I sit there and I've only had one group do it. Um, and so they sat there and they were kind of excited you know, to kind of tell me what their topic was um, because they chose it completely you know, without any input from me. And I told them that uh, if I'm not impressed by their pitch they're gonna have to go back. Um, And I, and I've kind of revised it now to be more like, it's like Shark Tank. Okay. You know, they've got to kind of sell it to me. And then, um, then if I say, you know, great, go for it. I give them a research sheet that gives the stipulations of where they have to get their research. And part of it, they have to find at least one primary source and they have to find like a scholarly article or something to help them.
0: And is that also just so that it's not surface level?
1: Yeah, I think so. You know, I you know I want them to not just go to Wikipedia. I want them to understand that there's there's layers to this and there are good sources and there's bad sources and so forth. And that's where we are at now. The two boys that I have doing it, you know, they've finished their research. I brought them into this room uh, last week to show them where they're going to record, and they were like so excited. They sat down, and they put on these headphones that we're wearing right now, and they just started riffing on the Versailles Peace Trade. I wasn't even recording, and they were just kind of getting into it, and I was like, oh, this is going to be kind of cool. I love that.
0: Like, that's what we want school to be is a place where the kids are
1: excited. I was kind of giddy, <laughs> actually, when they were sitting here because I wasn't expecting it. And then uh, Rachel was in the other room, and she came in. She's like, oh, my gosh, I just love this. And she, was, she took a picture of them, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to post that on, on, you know, on Twitter uh, soon. So they're going to be recording this week, and uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. Um, I'm going to be presenting to the class the option every unit to do this, and I'll be doing it again. And I had other kids that were interested, but they were scared. You know, I had some kids say, "You know, I'd like to do it, but can it just? Can I just turn it into you?" They didn't want to go online.
0: That's scary when you're doing it to an authentic audience.
1: I, I think so, and and I said no. I mean, it, that's the whole purpose of this—that it goes beyond me, and that if you really want to do this, you have to understand that you're putting yourself out there. Like right now, the podcast is on Spotify. It's on iTunes. so it has as potentially a global audience. And that's going to be part of this where it's going to be critiqued, not just by me, but I'm going to reach out to you know some colleagues and say, hey, can you give this a listen and just kind of rate it so that the kids understand that it's just you know, they're not just trying to impress me for a grade, that this is a reflection on them and their own efforts, and it's going to be viewed all over the place. And I think that, That makes it more real.
0: Well, and then they're really writing to themselves. You know, what resonates with them? How did they want to say it? What was the you know, medium in which they're doing that? Is it a comedic approach? Is it
1: a serious tone? Like, what, what works for them? One of the challenges, I think, in this project in particular is a lot of kids don't listen to podcasts and they don't know what a podcast is. So I played an example, and I did, this weekend, I did an episode. For Vox Historia to kind of just show what can be done. This is just one example. It's kind of a dramatic story, history-based with, you know, of course sources and stuff, but it's told in a you know dramatic way. I want them to understand that, you know, they could do whatever they want. This is the medium. It's audio, but you can get a point across and tell a story and make people feel something. And when you get people to feel something, that means that you felt it too, you know, and that it's something that you think is important. And uh, I think the element of them putting it out there online, you know, uh, makes them more conscious of what they're doing.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's, that's kind of the hope is this slow process of getting kids to how do we get that same excitement, that same authenticity to all of our students. Right. I mean, and that's it's not an easy task, but I like that you're moving in that direction.
1: I, I just, I, there are, you know, for something like this, I, you know, I don't think it's for everybody, though.
0: Well, I would say maybe not the podcast is not for everybody, right. but I do think that there is an experience out there, a passion that each of them has that we just have not yet allowed for them to explore. In our traditional classrooms.
1: I think so, and part of the problem is in our traditional classroom, our traditional classroom is also in a traditional school environment where having a bunch of kids doing different things is logistically challenging. Now, I could do it in my fourth-hour class because I have a co-teacher in there. So that means that the kids could be working in there, he could be working with kids, and then I could be down... You know, helping kids record or something, but like I'm not doing it in my eighth hour class because I can't. You know, I, I you know I can't let those kids go and then me go down and teach them something because that could take all period. You know, teaching them how to use Audacity or whatever, or coming in here and setting up so that they can record and just leaving my class alone. Well, I think what happens here is, you know, your small experiment is
0: moving the school environment to getting there and that interdisciplinary approach you know maybe you couldn't be there but how do we get it so that you know someone else could help them could somebody right. else kind of collectively help out all of this and if we're all in it every teacher every student is moving towards that process then we kind of control the abilities to kind of be flexible within that and yeah. that we're not there yet but I think we're moving in that direction
1: yeah, you know, I I do have you know kids in class um, that are you know require you know a co teacher in there, and I think for a project like like this, for some kids who struggle in the traditional environment, you know, of taking the multiple choice tests and so forth, not that that's um, something that you get rid of, but in regard to doing this this process this podcast there's there's an they have to write so it's not like they're they're you know we're disregarding writing they're reading connecting with others right um and there'll be times when i will have them in class like i'm you know i'm starting starting the russian revolution and the armenian genocide this week and there are certain things that i want everyone to be there for um like when I talk about Rasputin, it's my favorite story to tell. You so know, I'm going to have everyone there.
0: <laughs> well, no, and I think that that common experience is not necessarily a bad thing, especially right. if you're using it as a hook, if you're using it as something to sure. potentially connect them to something else. Sure. And I look forward to you know seeing this project grow, and I will post the um, link to your student project um, in this post. Um, and I hope to connect with you in the future on... Where's it at, and what's it turned into?
1: Yeah, uh, we'll see. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, caution. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic that it's going to, um, it's going to grow a little bit this semester. Where it goes next year, I have no, I have no idea. And that's exciting.
0: This has been a production of the Elk Grove collab Lab, building a community of learning at Elk Grove High School and beyond. Subscribe at iTunes or your favorite podcast service. If you've been enjoying our podcast, tell your friends and please give us a review on iTunes. This will help us reach more listeners. Yelp Grove Collab Lab can be found at egcollablab.org. Thanks for listening.